So to chair this panel, we're delighted to welcome Hugh Linehan um, to be the chair for the final panel of the day. Um, Hugh is the Arts and Culture Editor at the Irish Times and presenter of its weekly Inside Politics podcast. Previously he held the position of Features Editor and prior to that he was the first editor of the newspaper's weekly entertainment supplements to tickets. Hugh is also an accomplished film and television critic past editor of Film Ireland magazine and has worked in film and TV production on features including The Commitments and Into the West. So I'd like to welcome Hugh to, um, up to the stage and to introduce his fellow panelists. Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed, Red. Very interesting conversation went, in, went on quite long, so we're going to have to rattle along very fast, but I know I have a good panel to do that uh, here at BME. To my left, Dave is going to be talking, I presume, a bit about curation and exhibition. Um, I guess so. And how that is changing, has changed, and I think may change in the future, and the challenges. Uh, as we heard in the, in, in the last session, uh, NASA is one of that rare breed of female director, a successful international, internationally renowned female director, and we might, we might touch on her experience in that area too. And Tara works for me. Um, <laughs> Tara it's is, two uh, is a, it's a two for one deal. Uh, she's a film critic uh, with with the Irish Times. I should say actually that just admit that um, I'm back responsible for the overall arts and culture output in the Irish Times for the first time in I think more than more than ten years, which is which is interesting an interesting experience for me to kind of lurch back into this world in a very direct hands-on way for the first time in a long time. I was thinking about the very broad subject uh, that we're here to discuss as laid out in the programme. It's sort of, it's rather intimidating to me. I don't know, I don't know what you guys, you guys feel about it. That the, the difficulty of trying to pin down this cultural, social, political moment that we're in right now seems to me to be, to be frank, to be, to, to be, to be almost impossible. And there are a few reasons for that. One is that, I mean, I was just reading. Um, some analysis in American media this morning of the Cosby verdict um, yesterday, and there seemed to be a general consensus, or at least a wide, widely held view, that the guilty verdict wouldn't have come through if it were not for the events of the last six months in particular, uh, following the, the, the emergence of the Weinstein story. But if you look at the Weinstein story, it seems to me, uh, my personal view is that it, in, it would not have emerged uh, was it not, were it not for the rise of Donald Trump that it's a, it's, it's a backlash in, in part to that. But it's also clearly part of a wider cultural movement which goes, which goes back much further and which is driven, I think this always needs to be said, and it's, it's not just tokenism to say it, is driven by the bravery of individuals who were treated abominably in, in various industries, not just the film and television industry, uh, and who had the bravery to, uh, to come together and to say uh, no more. Um, but the thing is also, just thinking about the last session we were talking about, what we're talking about here is a, is a, a landscape uh, of behaviour which, um, which stretches from uh, unconscious cognitive biases of one sort or another, some of them very deeply socially and psychologically rooted, to um, a corporate conspiracy to uh, commit rape and to cover it up afterwards. And there is a difficulty in, 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 in discussing that as a journalist in Ireland I'm extremely conscious of the defamation laws at all time, and one always has to put the, you know, the, the, the addendum afterwards, but of course we're not saying that, we're only saying as far as this. But it is interesting to me that uh, this, this global phenomenon is playing out in certain kinds of ways in Ireland. It's not just in film and television. Uh, we, you know, we've heard the stories from theatre, and in fact that's where most of the, the stirrings and the movements over the last 12 months have come from. It's across the cultural landscape. I would, I would uh, have, make no bones uh, about admitting that the, the gender breakdown 
of power and decision making in the company for which I work, for example, in the media, is, is completely out of whack and it's something which, which I'm very, very far from proud of. And the questions of why that is um, seem to me to tie in as well to something which you can't ignore completely when you're talking about this, which is the incredible turbulence which uh, our, uh, our broad culture and society is going through at the moment. The, um, the, the political changes, the, uh, the, the, the technological changes, which are really fundamentally changing the way in which people are creative and people connect with other people, people think about themselves, think about their identities. And all of that is, is really problematic to discuss in a 40-minute session. <laughs> so I think it's not a bad idea to start with some empirical uh, experience to some extent. So I am going to go to you first, NASA, because you're the, you're the one person on this panel who's actually on the, the, the creative production side of this, of this equation. The, other, the rest of us are sort of peering in from outside and making decisions about it. So even in terms of the discussion which is, which is just finished here, um, as a director and as a woman working internationally, what does this moment look like to you? And what sort of changes are in train, if any? I think it's a really interesting question. And it's, and it's a huge and very broad question. I think um, you're right to say that uh, there's something unusual that has happened in this particular moment in relation to Weinstein and what happened as a result of, uh, of his exposure. How broad the repercussions will be, I'm still not sure. Uh, I think there are structural systems in place which are partially, well, which are predominantly actually rooted in unconscious bias that are incredibly difficult to dislodge. Um, but I am heartened by, uh, by the fact that, that's, that the Weinstein story emerged. I think there are probably reasons why it emerged aside from Trump, which were to do with the fact of his, uh, the weakening of his power in Hollywood, and mm. therefore it made it possible, and he made a lot of enemies. So I think there were other issues there that made him a slightly easier target. Um, and the, I suppose the thing that I would be afraid of is that this would be a moment which would pass. And we've had moments like this before, and they have passed, and the status quo has been resumed. So I don't think that it's inevitable that we're undergoing a transformation which will be lasting. But I do think that it's significant that we're undergoing a transformation where maybe 80% of the people acknowledge that something has happened, or acknowledge that... Uh, that there, is this, that there is a systemic difficulty that we need to address. Um, in terms of whether it has made any difference in the immediate context, I think people talk about it, which is always good. I think it's always good to name things. It's always good to articulate those things out loud. As a director, anecdotally, hmm. uh, as a director, it's something that you always have to deal with. It's something that you always have to address on set. And there are many different ways of addressing it, and every director will have her own way of directing it, or her own way of managing it. Um, and whatever suits your personality is the way you're going to manage it, but every director has to manage it. Um, so it would be lovely if we were able to transform the world such that we didn't have to manage that misogynistic pushback when you walk on set. Tara, there's <clears throat> it takes a long time <clears throat> to produce a television series or a feature film, and there's usually a time lag between a, a, a cataclysmic event, if it turns out to be that, and seeing that play out in, 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 in a TV programs or films you see. But it seems to me, looking at um, a certain amount of TV content over the last five years or so, and perhaps to a lesser extent, feature films, that there is a broader cultural change <laughs> taking place you know, beyond 
this this post Weinstein mm -hmm. moment? What well, do you think? yeah, there's definitely a convergence of things, and and part of that is almost certainly. Um, the threat of the law, um, because I mean, this, the studios were told in 2015 the ACLU had, had put in a complaint because uh, they were they were looking at you know seven percent women directors and they're looking at even worse figures in terms of like composers and editors and and all those things. So, 1.4 percent. So, yeah, yeah, 1.4. Yeah, yeah. It was so. I think last year it had gone up to a whole three. So um, in, in 2017, so so they were they were you know they were told in no uncertain terms that the Equal Employment um, Opportunity Agency was was going to come down on them and was going to investigate. And they um, there is all, there's a, there's a couple of there's a couple of other um, things that were uh, uh, going on around the background as well um, as, as as the Me Too thing. Um, but um, a big one is the bottom line. Um, they've realised that you know having for sort of years sidelined kind of female heroines and things, they suddenly realise they can actually make money. And last year, the, the, the three biggest grossing films in the United States all had um, uh, f female heroes. So, so that's part. And they've also realised in, in like for for years, it was very noticeable in the Marvel verse, for example, that. Um, Black Widow never had her own movie, but now you know suddenly Marvel are going right, and they're developing Jessica Jones, and they're developing out um, other strands. So, so, the, so suddenly they're aware that there's a market, and that they can make money off this, and that is always going to be a, a, a huge determining factor, certainly in the, in the in the Hollywood system. So, I, I think all those things have kind of converged um, in, into this moment, and I know that the most recent pilot season it was there was 14 out of 41 um of the pilots you know you know the way the Amer americans have very formal sort of sure. seasons they have sweeps and they have all these sorts of things 14 were developed by were, were directed by women now that's that, that doesn't sound like you know a, a massive ground-making number but it is actually a record-breaking number so um so 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 there's definitely something going on there they're definitely making some some kind of effort and it's absolutely vital that that continues because that at, at the end of the day, the, you know, the person who has the purse strings, the person, you know, the one surefire way of getting rid of of um, uh, of, of sexual harassment and systemic sexual harassment is is to make sure that you know the, the um, in terms of the, the, in terms of the economics, there's a more level level playing field. And also that there are people on the, the set yes. and at the meetings, like NASA, who will say. This is not, exactly not good enough. Yes, exactly. We, it's the only way. If we, we need to get the numbers up to more there's, or less equal. There's something else there that we probably should talk about, which is power and bullying. Um, that you know, when you raise the issue of sexual harassment, because um, I was uh, I was doing a little completely uh, unscientific vox pop among my uh, director and first AD friends this morning, going, just talk to me about. You know, I'm going to be discussing this this afternoon. What are your experiences? And, and what came back predominantly was that this happens in the context of bullying and it happens in the context of abuses of power. And obviously, you know, directors are at the, the pinnacle of that pyramid. And, mm. you know, when you walk on set, you do have absolute power. You know, you walk at somebody, they will step out of your way. Like, it's, it, it's not democratic by any manner of means. And you can determine the tone and the mood of that set uh, very quickly and very effectively by means of your character and the decisions and the tolerances that you have. And, and um, sexual harassment, if we, if we contextualise it uh, under the broader rubric of bullying, I think what you get is, is maybe a clearer picture so of is, how this works. Is there something there 
given that we're talking about an industry which has existed for more than 100 years and the kind of the rough shape of how, how a film crew works has been around for a very long time. Is, is this a structure built by men for men? You know, the, the, are there behaviours baked into the system? I'm, it's a long time since I worked on film set, but I remember there was a kind of a, uh, I hope there's no British people here who will take look askance at this, but there was a kind of a culture among British film te technicians, which was kind of based on British, a British sort of military psychology, which was if you were a young trainee and you got your bollocking and you took it and you got messed around by your by your gaffer and you took that in that classic kind of you know squaddy squaddy kind of you know kind of a way, and it's it's classic sort of male male only room behaviour, and I wonder is that you know is that part of if you have a a culture of organisations because that's what film production crews are. Of, you behave in a certain kind of a way in order to achieve the end, the end result of producing the film. It, does that become gendered in itself? I, I, I think that's a really interesting question. I mean, I think you could break that down into, into two separate questions, really. One of which is, uh, is it right to have uh, a top-down authority on a film set? And actually, I would argue, from my position at the top, yes. <laughs> but but w with good reason that you know uh, as the as the you know you are the creative leader and uh, and you have to articulate what this film is going to be and that's your job. So I do think that and you're right. It is a military structure with a kind of cascade of power mm. down, and I, I actually think it works very effectively. I mean, that has know. to work. I, can't, I personally can't imagine any yeah. other way. Yeah. So I have no problem with that, and mm. I think the other thread <laughs> that's in the question is. Is there something inherently masculine in that? Hmm. Um, and I, I would strongly argue, no, there isn't. Actually, I think power is power. Um, and I've, I've come across female bullies and male bullies. I've come across women who are brilliant at managing power and men who are brilliant at managing power. Um, I think there is something baked in culturally that we ascribe power um, to men sometimes, unless hmm. we think, or to white men particularly sometimes, without really thinking about it. And that's something that we need to... Um, unpack in our own hearts and minds and I'm talking about all of us I don't you know I, th I, I think I do that I think black women do that I think we all do that and we have to unpack that but I don't think there's anything natural about that I think that is something that I have learned uh, through swimming around in the culture but uh, but the, but there is still and David will be in a sec there <coughs> there is still a notion there is a kind of a myth of the great artist the great man the great creative genius who throws his Wait around an awful lot and demands an awful lot, you know, and an awful lot of people. Thing, yes, yeah. and it's a kind of it's it, it's a sort of an archetype in the culture. It, it's not always male. I mean, the Meryl Streep role in Devil Wears Prada uh -huh. is that as well, you know. Um, but it is this idea, which it does appear that some people have have preyed on or used in order to do certain other things. That that in a in a high tension creative industry, um, that that certain rights accrue to the individual at the top of that pyramid which most of us don't have in a democratic society. Well, at the risk of hogging this, and I don't no, want no, to... No, no, go, go. But, uh, but uh, one of the conversations that I did have this morning, actually, um, with, uh, with three different first ADs, um, men and women, all said to me, uh, the times that they've been bullied by their director, uh, that if the bully is a man, that uh, it is tolerated to a much greater degree. Mm. That if the bully is a woman, it will be addressed. Um, but that uh, men get away with, with bad behaviour. Hmm. That doesn't surprise me. David, do, uh, I do want to bring you in. I mean, you're looking, coming from a different place to this entirely. Sure. And how has that affected how you do your job? Well, I suppose we, we, we interrogate everything that we show here. Uh, you know, we, we, we tend to look at everything from a lot of different angles. And um, this has, I suppose, 
sharpened our focus in, in terms of, in terms of uh, gender, or shone a spotlight on it, if you will. Um, and the introducing the F rating was, um, again, as Anne-Marie was saying, something we, we took upon ourselves to try to, I suppose, have transparency. And we knew we were going to have months where we were, we were going to look pretty bad. You know, but we decided, you know, the only way to the only way to really um, approach that is to is to first know where we are. Um, now, where we, I suppose, where I sometimes feel um, as a programmer, why I have less uh, agency to address that is in um, just looking at the i5 program now, uh, is in terms of new releases because that is really what's what's on the market. You know, what's what's out there that I can I can pick and choose from. Where I feel sure. I have or we as programmers uh, have more agency to address this is, is the ancillary activity that we do, the festivals that we do, the, the uh, event programming. And, and I think the, uh, having the F rating has definitely, as a programmer, sharpened my own focus in terms of striving for balance within that. Because when it comes to festivals, it's kind of you're picking and choosing from the international smorgasbord of cinema, you know, so sure. it's up to you to make those choices, whereas new releases, it's kind of what... what you've got a choice, <coughs> you've got a choice of a dozen or so titles a month or something. Kind of, and that's it. And, yeah. and you've got to make some commercial decisions and I also can't, you know, audience-pleasing decisions. Yeah, and I, I think working towards a, a quota system would be a bad idea in that, in, in, for new releases. I think it has to be kind of, um, what's appropriate for the iFi, etc. But when it comes to the festivals and the, the Vanguard festivals at Amory, um, mentioned there, we do our best, and I, I was kind of pleased to see that. I think we did okay. It, you know, <laughs> is, is there, there was one thing I was wondering with with Anne-Marie's slides. I don't know if you have numbers on this, but I'd be interested, and it should be possible. She has numbers I think. on everything. Yeah. Um, can you can you map those those uh, the F-rated films against admissions, as opposed to numbers of titles? Yes, that is possible. I'd be interested to see that. But it's also sharpened our, our focus, I suppose, towards um, people we, we want to shine light on. Like we we showed um, L.A. May's films last year. Like we did Ivy Lupino this year. It's kind of we're we're trying to uh, actively highlight these hidden figures, uh, these hidden women of, of film history, and to to uh, give them their due and give them a platform. What about the other side of this? Will you be running a Roman Polanski season anytime soon? Well, well, there you go. Um, well, I think we should have the we should be able to have the opportunity to to do so. Mm -hmm. I think so. I think being a gatekeeper is really problematic. I think it's really problematic, a, a cultural gatekeeper. I think um, Roman Polanski is a perfect example because he's a, he's a hugely problematic figure, but that doesn't mean that Chinatown still isn't of hugely cultural importance and of a very high standards when it comes to script writing, Robert Town's script, or the other actors in it. Um, he's a great director. He just yeah. is. So I think yeah. if you... You have to be, for me as a programmer, I have to be able to separate the dancer from the dance. Like you have to be able to, otherwise, um, well, there's a whole raft of issues. I think it's getting towards censorship, which I'm hugely against. Um, it is, I think that kind of erasion or erasure or elision is um, massively problematic. It's also redacting pieces of history. I think we need to know where cinema history was at a particular time to learn from that. We also need to be able to, as a space like the Irish Film Institute, we need to be able to have con conversations about problematic 
material in context, yeah. and context I, is absolutely key in this. And, and we might come to what that, yeah. you know, how and much we, might do that. For and you. a lot of it's trust. It's kind of, I need to trust the audience, the audience needs to trust us as well. That we're, both, we're all adults here, we, we can present something as being made by a problematic figure or challenging material that is upsetting, but we should be able to talk about it. Tara, is it a straw man to kind of set up the specter of the fact that certain filmmakers maybe erased Stalin, Stalin style from history? Is that going to happen? <sighs> It, it's well, well, uh, well. That that sort of happens anyway. Things you know ri rise and fall and become unfashionable, and things that you know once looked like masterpieces don't look like masterpieces anymore. And there are all sorts of complicated reasons as to as, as to why that may be. I I I think I, I'm usually opposed to censorship. However. Um, like we were, we were ta talking about about this before. I, you know, I'd love to go back to the Paradise Lost, where I watched The Tenant without knowing anything about, and I'd love to go back and watch Woody Allen films without knowing anything about um, uh, uh, Woody Allen. And when I watched Manhattan on its reissue two years ago, I, I find I find it I find it I find sure. it very problematic. Yeah. Can I can I um, ask you that question, Ashley? Because I would separate those two directors quite significantly. Mm -hmm. You know. I think there are aspects of Roman Polanski where you go, mm, that's actually quite a disturbing political philosophy behind, yeah. say, Tess and the Durbervilles. But The Tenant or The Ghostwriter is yeah. good. The, like, they're mm. amazing films, or Rosemary's Baby, um, where I'm, I don't see the, um, the darkness in, mm. in that man's political philosophy in those films. But I think it is very visible in Woody Allen's films. Mm -hmm. I think it, it, those films are suffused with his very disturbing sexuality. Yeah. I, I think that's where, I think that's where that's where it gets very thorny is when there is an intersection between the the actual art, the artifact, uh, and and the criminality or, or whatever or whatever else we happen to be dealing with uh, in this conversation. Uh, I we were looking at yesterday at that piece um, which was, which about the Ditchling Museum of Art and Craft and their ex exhibition. It's very of, interesting. Um, Could you explain what the, the background? Yeah. Was? So so in in 2017 they had to sit down and they brought together curators and experts and and um, and various people in a panel to discuss Eric Gill. Like, now, Eric Gill is like a very significant artist, British artist, a very significant British sculptor. Gill's son, the um, the typeface, that's 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 Eric Gill. So it's it's yeah. it, 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 he's 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 a hugely significant figure. You can't just erase him out of history. You pull him out of history, and there's a whole bunch of other because a lot of artists actually followed him, and they you know we're we're living around the, the same local. Area. Um, however, he 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 was raping his two daughters, and some of the some of the sculptures are of his daughters. Some of the etchings are of his daughters. So they had to like sit down and discuss all of this and and work that into the exhibition right. space. That they had to work that they couldn't just. And um, the the panel they had was called um, "Not Turning a Blind Eye," and they had to. And they had to they had to like work that into the exhibit, work it into the basic fabric of the exhibit. And we need to sort of think about doing something similar, but it's a, a lot more difficult in terms of, of, of cinematic space. And um, but there, but there's certainly, a, I mean, a very good example in recent years would be Birth of a Nation, the uh, 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 new one, Nate, Nate, Parker. Nate Parker's film, and when when the rape allegations um, surfaced around that, and so this film like goes from being. And 2016 Fox uh, acquire it and they expect it to be their big Oscar winner and it's an acquired at Sundance for a record yes, amount right. of money and it's supposed to be this African-American repost, the D.W. Griffith film and it's epic and all these things. 
Um, and it becomes very, there is no way you can watch the film because rape is a key point in the film. It's, it's a crucial plot point. There's no way you can look at the film without thinking about, about the person. Um, and also, we're, we're, we're critical creatures. We, like, we're supposed to be making connections. Connections make a work of art richer. I, I mean, you know, I was saying to you earlier, imagine like not, not looking at a Martin Scorsese film and like trying to erase out Irish or Italian Catholicism. It just, it just doesn't work. We, we're, we're supposed to sort of make connections and, and those connections make a piece of art more valuable. So it's about trying to do that. But that's not that, an easy thing to try. That sounds wonderful. But yes. it also sounds both difficult to achieve mm -hmm. in, in practical terms it, it seems to demand both a level of sophistication in the framing and, and presentation, and also perhaps to be demanding a level of sophistication in the broader cultural discourse and debate uh, than I see out there on a regular basis, because um, it seems to me that these issues become very black and white very quickly. Very binary, yeah. In the way that they're instantaneous hot takes, mm -hmm. you know, you're good, you're bad, I'm on this side of the fence, you're on the other. People very quick to scream censorship on the one hand or we, we, must, we mustn't allow this on, on the other. And to, to achieve that kind of complexity might be possible in a well-tended visual arts expi yeah. exhibition in the UK. But when it comes to, a, for example, a commercial Hollywood release, it seems like a tougher ask. Mm -hmm. Next to impossible. I mean, we, we can yeah. we can try to do a little bit of that here because we will have, you know, spoken introductions and maybe panel discussion afterwards to tease out the complexities and what we like and what we dislike. So we're, I suppose, afforded that opportunity here to have those kind of conversations around film and film history. But um, in terms of Hollywood, new Hollywood films, no, it's 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 instant. Would you put on Woody Allen season? And well, we actually showed the, the most recent Woody Allen film, um, which was fascinating. Uh, the audience voted with their, with their feet. They just did not come. Really? Wow. Yeah. Now, neither did we get any complaints, okay. but nobody came. It closed after a week, and that was that. Whereas, Hard to know why, though. <laughs> well, there's more than one potential reason. Right? Well, yeah. a couple of yeah. potential, uh, joking aside, there's a couple of potential reasons. One is that the uh, distributor of the film did not promote, promote it. Promote it, okay. It was dropped into the market, and they turned a blind eye by their own admission. Right. So there's that, so there was a lack of awareness. Um, whereas interestingly, Manhattan, which was re-released last year, was the IFI's most successful re-release uh, for certainly last year, if not for a number of years. Are often when we show re-release, it gets released for a week, maybe. And, and it, it is practically it a manifesto, that film. Yeah, yeah. but people mm -hmm. came back and showed for about three weeks. It was our most successful re-release. And, and, and in an interesting, weird kind of way, it mm. then begat the Louis C.K. film, which led to that narrative. I mean, which has undistributed. Wheels, wheels on this. Undistributed you know? as... Mm. as uh, but some of it, as it, that, that, this hot take business is very problematic, I think, like air, suddenly airbrushing James Franco off the cover of Variety before it goes to, mm. goes to print. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's I don't know. I mean, our, our colleague Donald Clark Tara, uh, reviewed that film and said it was the last Woody Allen film that'll ever get released in Ireland. Do you think that's I think he meant everywhere. I, I think he meant everywhere. I don't think he's going to get financed. Yeah. That, I mean, he has another gonna, one in the It's done yeah. Rainy Day in New York, but we'll probably never see it. Yeah, I mean, uh, who's, who's going who's gonna, to you know, put their shirt on that? It's just. It's, it's, well, see, you're, interestingly, it's that's, that's exactly what it is. It all tends to boil down to money. I mean, the reason Kevin Spacey was 
gone as he was no longer a financially viable property. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And let, me, let me ask you about that, Nasser, because a lot of the stuff I've seen, like, for example, you know, John Lasseter's, you know, I, I think temporary, or perhaps not defenestration from Pixar, uh, and a range of other people, this looks to me like corporate mopping up totally. a lot of the time. So it's about, you know, PR meets HR, and out of that comes a strategy. Mm. Um, and if that is actually the case, and if I'm correct in being as cynical as I am about those kind of strategies, I think sometimes. you're correct in being as cynical as you are. It'll all be over in 12 months' time. It'll be back to business as usual. That, that I think, it's very difficult to tell. I think it's very difficult to tell. And the reason that I think it might be difficult to tell is because uh, of social media. Um, because I think the only reason... Wh what I think is interesting about this, and tell me whether you agree, is that, for instance, the stories about Weinstein uh, were, were in the public domain. They were in the public domain for quite a long time. Uh, the stories about P Cosby were Brian in, the, Singer. Yeah. Hmm. in the public domain the one that's always very, to me. very yeah. long time. Uh, and it didn't really get traction. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't want to make a false equivalence here, and I, and I don't want to offend anybody, but, but what I'd like to look at is um, the social uh, mechanisms by which this suddenly clicked into focus. And the thing that I was reminded of was clerical sexual abuse and the birth of the internet. Um, because uh, similarly, there were events that had been in the public domain and had kind of gone away and not really been addressed. Uh, and with the birth of um, social media and, uh, and online communication in the US, so it's that film, Spotlight, deals with this. Suddenly, right. um, people were able to come together and go, there is more than one case. There is more than mm. one uh, um, anecdotal uh, set of circumstances here. And, and I do think that we saw something actually not dissimilar um, with this Me Too thing uh, and with the way that, the, that both Weinstein and kind of more broadly within um, film and television uh, um, bullying and harassment were called out. It was called out in a very similar way. It was mm. called out through social media. Uh, and and certainly bullying and harassment in Ireland was called out yes. by social media and that broke a wall which, for whatever reason, uh, establishment media didn't go through until, mm. until that wall had been broken by Grace Dias. Exactly right, exactly right. So I, I think for that reason, we may actually be in uncharted territory. It may not go away. It may not all recede in 12 months. As it had, as it did in the eighties, as it did in the seventies, yeah. as it did previously when these things came up. Yeah, I think apart from anything else, the, the day John Laster turns back up at work, it's it's going to be really widely reported, and 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 people will go, well, why is he why is he back? Why is he? so so? There's that there's that aspect to it, can, it as you well. You can't do it quietly anymore. You, yeah. you can't just sweep mm. things. Um, you can't. Well, it's all died down now. Everything's fine. You're just. You're, that's just not going to to there wash. Is, anymore. There is a suggestion which I saw being put forward by the. The New York Times now has a gender editor, which is interesting. And the gender editor was putting forward, the, the, or was suggesting that some people were saying that there could be difficulties arising out of this for traditional ways, for example, in which people used to mentor you know, uh, younger people of talent. Because men in particular will just back off from any kind of personal friendship. Personal. Now, I don't know how true or not that is, but I'd be interested in a fascinating... I think, I think this is, uh, I think this is uh, it's hilarious but awful. It's, I think it's part of this kind of broader, very bizarre, to me, pushback of, well, how are we going to flirt with anybody if we yeah, can't I know, I, I, yeah. Which was like that, that, French, <laughs> that, that letter that uh, Catherine Deneuve yeah. and various It was others. very peculiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 If you well, don't know yeah. the difference between bullying and flirting, yeah, you've yeah, got yeah, bigger yeah. problems yeah. than yeah. Yeah. career mate. Yeah. It was ill-advised, <laughs> that, that letter. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, it is this thing that um, we do have to be careful about how we articulate this. You know, this is not... 
men against women. This is not actually really about sex. This is about bullying. It's about bullying and abuse of power. Um, and it just so happens that one of the ways that you can bully people is by gender and race. Mm. Um, and so, you know, people will bully you with whatever they can find sure. about you to bully you with. Um, and if somebody is insecure enough to want to shore up their power by making you feel small, they'll use whatever they can to make you feel small. If it's gender, if it's race, if it's your disability, whatever it is, they'll use it. Um, and uh, I think we need to be very careful that we don't fall into the Mike Pence philosophy here of saying, well, sex is inherently dangerous and sex is inherently violent. And that dangerous. was what was being suggested in the New York Times, was that that, was, that would be what we would end up with, that men would be afraid to go into a room with a woman, like Mike Pence. Michael Haneke came out. I'm afraid to go into a room with Mike Pence. Well, yeah, me too. <laughs> Didn't Michael Haneke say something similar, that he said this would usher in a new era of Well, speaking of, uh, of having a manifesto in your films. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you are. Is, but is there a generational divide there, though? I mean, the, the, the French, for example, for example, Terry. You know? oh. Is there a very different, do people in the creative industries in their 60s or 70s, for example, seem to think very differently about these issues from people in their 20s or 30s? Oh, oh I think so. I, like, I, I, I remember, um, I've, I've, I've actually met Catherine Deneuve, and she, like, she, she was praising Mad Men, and, like, as, as the, the, the virtues of the like, characters in Mad Men, is like, you know, the, those, those good old days when we, you know, sort of, I don't know, when you could, when you could get a slap and it was flirting, that sort of thing. Yeah, but, so there's, no, there's, there's, there's definitely... Um, a generational thing but then, then you don't want to fall either into the trap of like very often when people talk about the Polanski case they go well those were different times that's 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 a that's that's a great one that gets that gets um trotted trotted mm. up but but I suppose um, you can feel quiet <laughs> to a 13-year-old <laughs> yeah um yes um but I but I I suppose though um, in a way, it's a kind of giving someone a free pass if they're in their seventies and saying, "Well, you know, he's 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 an elderly gentleman, or and or, or whatever." But um, well, it's a, it's a, you know, it's it's there's a long-standing tradition. I, mean, I didn't know the Nazi Party were that bad. They, you know, they yeah. made, or, or 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 indeed, you know, priests didn't. We just thought it was a sin. We didn't Falling think orders. it was a crime. Yeah. All those kinds of but, things. But it's I a, it's I, a, I dislike um, Hanukkah's thing about about it being. I I dislike this language about it being a witch hunt. The, the mm. idea that people mm. are simply trying to call out systemic you know sexual abuse and and systemic bullying and the idea that people are trying to make the you know the the conditions in which they work just that little bit fairer and more easy and to to call out a witch hunt is is really really unpleasant and disingenuous i think there's a point in relation to generation i'm not sure what what you think of this um i the wake in the feminist report which they brought out uh, several months ago now, um, made reference to, and I'm sorry if I'm misquoting it slightly, but this is essentially the gist of it. They looked at some research done on Broadway um, about um, women who had uh, achieved success on Broadway and their careers in Broadway, and whether or not they were of benefit to the next generation of women who followed. And they found that they, they weren't. Pull um, the ladder up. That there was a yeah. pull the ladder up element there, whether it was just uh, what we call sort of Mayfainism, or whether it was a sense that, um, which I've sometimes had uh, when talking to women who are senior in, in their professions, that they had to work so bloody hard, mm. and that's what you have to do mm. in order to get there. But there did seem to be an issue that it didn't automatically follow that you get women in positions of authority, that more women... That, that Margaret Thatcher syndrome. And yeah. Now, in my very informal and unscientific Vox Pop this morning. Very uh, useful Vox Pop. Yeah. Very useful Vox Pop. Uh, uh, this did come up several times uh, among actors and among crew uh, saying, uh, yeah, that, that um, essentialism, the notion of essentialism, the notion that if you are male that you will be 
you know, that you'll adhere to certain stereotypes, and if you are female, you will automatically be enlightened, is just that. It's a mm. complete illusion. Or, you know, this essentialism that if you're female, you'll be egalitarian and lovely and not a bully. And if you're, you know, it's just a lie. It's a lie. Uh, you know, human nature is human nature. Mm. We are not that different. And um, if somebody is, uh, it doesn't matter how they wear their gonads. If they're, if they're ambitious and they work the system, there's no guarantee they're going to help other people. Because I do wonder, when we look at the stats that we've seen earlier, and we see that, you know, there's a comfortable majority of the producers um, yeah. are women. Um, yeah, but yet we have this incredible dichotomy when it comes to directors. But pr- yeah, that's all. Producers, are, women have always been better. Well, certainly not fifty-fifty, but better represented. It's, but they are kind the of like, the, but they're like the mommy of the film. That's the you that's, serve that's the kind genius. of the issue. So that's yeah. producer as facilitator rather than yeah. producer yeah. as boss. Exactly right. Okay. Yeah. You're not expected. But, 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 you, but you know, like, f- film pivots around that, like, sort of auteur theory, and, and I think we still have that kind of romantic notion. I certainly do. Yeah. <laughs> 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 the, the, that the director's in charge and everyone else is in, the, is in there. We won't, want to go to the audience pretty soon, but I, I did want um, to put one more question, which is, uh, I was here for most of the, the earlier session with, with Tony and Roddy, mm-hmm. and they were looking, you know, they were going through the various titles uh, which have been produced out of Ireland for over the last 12 months, uh, both, both film and television. And, and looking at them, um, there, was some, there was some great stuff, and there was some, they drew some interesting conclusions from it. But the ones that it seemed to me that probably have had the most impact on the culture and on the country as a whole were not feature films and cinema. Yeah, TV. Um, they were Derry Girls. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. They were Young Offenders. Um, and to go back to a point I made earlier about how it seems to take a long time for stuff to feed through mm. the digestive process of the development, production, mm-hmm. to distribution, yeah. film process. TV seems to um, quicker. seems to, seems quicker. to react to these more things quicker and reflect them more quickly. And, and I wonder, is one of the reasons for that is that this kind of um, high priest figure of the director um, going to you and this and that, so the high priest of the director isn't quite such a high priest in television, or at least the public perception of it is. Uh, I, I think there are a number of factors here, and, and I find all of this stuff really compelling because I think we are dealing with unconscious bias that can be quite powerful, deceptively powerful. Um, a couple of years ago, and I don't know if this is still true, and I should have looked it up, a couple of years ago I did, um, I did some research into what the top ten... Irish films at the Irish box office for the previous 10 years were. And it was a little bit of a sort of a, a, a shifting for what, what is an Irish film, you know. Do we count yeah. the wind that shakes the, bo- that shakes yeah. the body as an Irish sure. That kind of thing. Uh, so there were the top 10 box office successes of the previous 10 years. And when you took Irish things like the wind that shakes the body, and when you took out Neil Jordan and Jim Sheridan, actually, who were internationally financed and big budget filmmakings like Michael Collins, what you were left with was... Um, the Hardy Boys, uh, The Young Offenders, um, Intermission, mm-hmm. uh, I'm trying to remember what the other ones were now. Oh, the Guard. A Man About Dog, I The Guard, I Went Down. The Guard. They are all the same story. They're all the same story. <laughs> it's the story of this absolutely adorable young man who breaks the law, but in a really adorable way. Uh, and who's, you know, who's badly behaved and does really terrible things, but you kind of forgive him anyway. Uh-huh. It's the same story. Rascal for rascal, rascal cinema. Yeah, a okay. rascal cinema, but a, but a very particular kind of masculinity, a very particular kind of young masculinity, and um, and there's yeah. some you know there's some strange and disturbing, <laughs> women, you know portraits of women like Intermission mm. in particular has a very bizarre yeah. kind of kidnapping story, um, that uh, that might be you know might be difficult to defend today actually. It is the opening sequence of, of Intermission is really horrendous. I remember at the time watching that in. 
whatever iteration of Cine World it was at the time, Virgin, yeah. and, and being really you know, appalled it's, by it. It's not yeah. actually that. I, I mean, that, that it's very violent. Scene, it's yeah. very violent, but you don't, there's no sense that she likes it. Whereas the later section... I don't remember much about, else about that. I just remember that. Is, the, we there's all a female... And now tell me, if, tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yes, that it is played for, for last. It certainly is, is. Yeah. 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 That is fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but I do find that interesting. I find that interesting that... Um, and that is, that is to do with both uh, funders who mm. thought these films would be well-received and also to do with audience because they were well They were successful. Yeah. They were, they well, were, the snapper as well is an astonishing one to go back and look at. Now, oh, I think yeah, in terms of... Well, that's a very interesting historical artifact, yeah, actually. Yeah, the, you yeah. know, the, the, the snapper took. Just before, one last thing before I bring it to the audience, because I did want to ask you about this, Terry. I mean, you mentioned earlier that um, that uh, the studios, for example, in, in the United States, and we, we shouldn't just be talking about them. It's a yeah. it's a global issue, but that because they were being forced against their will into producing more stories with female protagonists mm-hmm. or indeed having sometimes having more women directors and then they were discovering that actually people wanted to go and see those and they didn't just want to go and see rascal cinema all the mm-hmm. time yeah, and, and and superhero male superheroes all the time mm-hmm. is there do you have any optimism that there might be a virtuous circle there that one thing might lead to the other that in fact that in the same way as when uh, political quotas were introduced in scandinavian countries that it then became very quickly acceptable and, you know, that, that was 50-50. Yeah, I think, no, I, 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 I absolutely do. Um, and I, I think the, the figures from the box office last year um, show that. And also just then you can turn to the other platforms and you're seeing it all the time on Netflix, you're seeing it all the time um, across across various media. But but certainly, certainly in Hollywood, I mean, I know that like DC are frantically trying to get, you know, because Pad, Paddy Jenkins, um, Wonder Woman worked so mm. well for them. Um, they're they, they're they're very keen to attach um, uh, more women directors to to their films, um, um, particularly the female-driven ones like Batgirl, because um, Joss Whedon had been developing that and was working on that. Um, and um, you can do that one. And um, um, but but so so I, I do think I do think there, there's it's 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 been a it's been a fruitful kick up the arse for them, um, and 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 I, I suspect it should continue to do so because as long as they're making money of, out of it, they're they're going to keep going along with it. Bridesmaids was certainly, uh, I think, when this started, yeah. really was a turning point. I mean, they were like not only was it probably one of the best films of the year as well. Yeah. something I go back and watch regularly. Anybody at all? Yes. Yes, sir. Yeah, just uh, talking in the context of you know filmmaking today. Question for Nessa and Dave to share, um, which is what you know the, the whole emergence of the SVODs. I suppose if you look at the power, and Nessa, you're talking about power of where filmmaking is and television making, if you look at it in terms of a map of California, it's kind of moving from Hollywood slightly up where there's a lot to Silicon Valley, where you have people like you know uh, Facebook putting in two billion, Amazon just to de- it, for 2018 alone spend, it's like you know, 8 billion for Netflix, uh, 14 and a half million for Amazon, and when Apple start getting into the game, it's going to be really interesting. So I see that as, in terms of gender, a really interesting kind of disruptor, a game changer in terms of how we're making our films completely, so the opportunity to make films and story to tell stories is completely different than it was even five years ago. So as well as Nessa, how, how does that impact the way your career is developing, how you're thinking of telling stories, because it's not just about the old system of studios, and then David, are you worried in the IFI about like you know Netflix? Is we love a challenge. Yeah, uh, do you want to go first? Do I go first? Go first. Go on. Um, are we worried? Um, 
yes and no, I suppose. Um, it, it, certain, it certainly sharpens your focus, I guess. I'm still a great believer in the communal cinema watching experience. Um, I think the space that we've carved out for ourselves were a little more immune to the threat than maybe some other venues. I mean, a lot of the, uh, the rep titles that we would show, a lot of the classics and seasons, they're really where you can see people wanting to come out um, you know, as a kind of shared experience we do. Uh, very, very well with that. That kind of it is nostalgia as well that people are coming out to watch stuff that perhaps they've seen before, have heard of. Um, so that kind of event cinema is is certainly somewhere that we can uh, shore up. But uh, yeah, definitely, uh, multi-platform distribution has been going on for for quite a few years now, even with Artis chains as well. And it's where you can either come here uh, buy a ticket or you can rent it online for a very similar uh, ticket price as well. You choose. Um, it's very difficult to get numbers on that, uh, on how how many people are going the online route. I don't think, again, I'll defer to my colleagues are looking at me over here. I, I certainly haven't discerned it as being a massive threat as of yet. I think it's more of a mainstream uh, threat, um, but it's certainly something we're very... It's a live conversation, yes. Um, but I, I think there's definitely... Um, I'm not as concerned when it comes to the kind of uh, the retrospective programming that we do. I think that's something people will always want to watch. I'd love that if I was 100% rap cinema. That'd suit me fine. <laughs> if we could afford it, I would do it in a heartbeat. You know, it's just, it's dear. Yeah. <laughs> Rights yeah. for old films are complicated and expensive. But uh, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in terms of um, career possibilities, if that's what you're talking about, um, I think that. Uh, I think, yeah, I think the expansion of um, more cinematic television, which is, has mostly been, you know, Amazon and Netflix, has been enormously uh, advantageous for a whole range of different directors. Um, you know, the budgets have gone up, the production values have gone up, uh, where cinema, um, you know, my understanding uh, is that cinema kind of um, became an agglomeration of uh, companies owned by one super company that wasn't really a film company and became very much about product and very narrow. And, and this, um, uh, you know, led by technology, the, uh, the development of, um, of, uh, of online viewership uh, created the opportunity for more cinematic television. So um, it's more expensive, it's, it's cinematic, we're telling interesting stories, we're, t we're doing, um, uh, you know, big, meaty, thematic, uh, well-resourced pieces. So in terms of direction, that's a great opportunity. And also it means that the walls between um, those different media have collapsed. So there's a lot more interplay. So, you know, I've done a lot of high-end TV and now I'm working with DreamWorks and then I'll do some more high-end TV and then I'll make a film this summer. And th so that's really nice, that that, that, that sort of um, interplay between uh, long-form, high-quality drama and film appears does, to be here does today. Does the mode of, of reception, of watching, as much as the mode of production, does it change the nature of the type of stories that are being told, and are there any kind of gender implications, you know, around that? You know, the, the classic, classic Hollywood-era bred the classic women's film of the, of the 1940s, and for a variety of reasons, that sort of went away... Uh, during the 50s and 50s and 60s, mm. and I wonder. I mean, I see a lot of did really interesting stuff. <laughs> well, it did. Well, it did. No, it did. Broke that man. There was no George Cooper. What? <laughs> um, well, maybe. Um, but 
I, I wonder when I look at the spread of you know the vast spread of content that's available for, through st streaming streaming mm. services now, that it seems perhaps just purely because of its breadth to allow for a broader span of depictions of the human experience, including more depictions of non-white male heterosexual experience. Yeah, I think that I think you're absolutely right. I think that is true, and I think when Netflix approach you saying we're looking for stories, what they say is. We want something that's never been on screen before. Mm. That's what we want. Mm. So that's pretty exciting, you know, as a filmmaker, uh, to have that as your as as the brief. We want something we've never seen before. And you know, the success of things like Orange Is the New Black, which is predominantly um, black female cast, having this massive viewership uh, is really thrilling. And I think for uh, for a narrower set of gatekeepers, you know, 20 years ago, that would have appeared a much bigger risk than it does today. So that's thrilling. Because an internet company working at scale can make a lot of money out of niches. The because there's into niches yeah. on, a, on a global level in a way that particularly in recent years, the uh, cinema exhibition industry based upon the opening weekend blockbuster model has to, has to get every you know, 18 year old boy in the world into watching. I think watching, that's absolutely know? right. And I think you've made an excellent point, which is if I make a drama for Ireland and I only get 10% of the viewership in Ireland, I'm not gonna make any money. But if I get 10% of the viewership and I can distribute that worldwide at a relatively low cost, hmm. suddenly it's possible for me to make hmm. that film. It's possible for that film to find a viewership that makes it possible for me to make the next film. And that is driven by the technology. Which is potentially is good exciting. for diversity. Really good for television. Yeah. Is, is there not a problem with niche in the sense that we can all watch what we want to watch and ignore everything else? Cultural also bubbles. In terms of mm. Netflix, while they're doing quite massively very quality products, they're also turning to things like Fuller House, bringing them back because they've been successful as a, as a box set. But these aren't necessarily quality programs, and then they're kind of distancing themselves from quality programs like uh, Sense8 or something like that. Hmm. I thought there's two different things there. One is about mm. quality, but the other one is about uh, if, if, everybody, if everybody's in their own niche. niche. If you have so much niche, you're going you're to end up having a lot of quantity. Um, like, like, for example, I watch two relatively children programs, um, but they're relatively good. But you have one from, um, can't be the name of it, Lemony Snicket, for example, which yeah. I was, was really well done. And then you've got the latest one, which is Lost in Space, which was banal. <laughs> like, yeah, I agree. I've seen the first two yeah. episodes. <laughs> like, are, are they just going to go back down that road of being banal? Is there a worry there that that could happen? I think we, you know, there's been a lot of talk in the industry about peak television. Uh, the fact that there's so much money swilling around and a lot of things are getting developed very quickly and, and, and money being pumped into them and then being put on air. There's a lot of misses uh, now just because there's so much production going on. Uh, I think that will probably settle down in the next five years, I would think. Anybody else? Go ahead. I'm not sure about the question I guess I was wondering about I'm thinking about this point about say Wonder Woman as an example of if you build it they will come, right? You can have something with a female director and a female character and they'll come. But I'm also wondering if there's something telling me about the specific success of Jessica Jones uh, help in figures, which are all again again female characters, but they're specifically female characters who are the victims of injustice, however you want to kind of frame it. But to me, in the context of this conversation, it's quite interesting that that in particular seems to me an audience. 
seems to win an audience. Sure, that, that, that on a purely financial level, that means that people to tell more of those stories because those because stories where basically, um, you know, women are getting stepped on. Um, and some level, Jessica Jones works on two levels, but ultimately she's a fully character. Does Wonder Woman get stepped on? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, not for long. <laughs> I wouldn't cite her in that in that category. I mean, just those three hot things occurred at the top of my head. I'm thinking maybe that means there are others. I'm just wondering if that maybe suggests something that there is a market for that kind of work. Do you know, I, I actually, I, I think it's a really interesting question. I'd be interested to know what you think, but I'm also going to answer it myself. Um, <laughs> I think it's a really interesting question. I think there's, I think there's room for everybody. Um, I think that you, you're right, Hidden Figures did incredible business, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and it seemed to me that it was addressing something very particular and, and quite exciting. Um, I think there are a couple of things in play there. I think one is what you were talking about earlier, that these are stories that have never been told before. And yet, when they get money pumped into them and the right actors and the right director and the right writer, there's a massive audience for, for that story because it's a really, it's a, it's a really recognisable human experience. And I come back to um, uh, Terence, you know, the, um, the Roman playwright uh, who got given out to because he was a slave writing about kings and queens, saying, what would you know about that? And his philosophy was, I am a human. There is nothing of the human that is alien to me. Um, and I think what's interesting about a film like Hidden Figures is there is nothing of the human that is alien to me. You know, I'm not a mathematician, I'm not a black woman living in the 1950s, but I know that story, you know that story, you know that sensation of being overlooked for the wrong reasons. And I think it's making that story universal, making those women's stories universal, uh, is what led to the success of that film. So to a degree, I think, you know, all cinema is about that, right? All cinema, there, it's always the story of transformation, it's always the story of somebody... Uh, transforming either to the good or the bad, and it's always a story about social interaction. Um, and, and you know, I'm, I'm not sure that I totally buy that all the female-driven stories that you've seen over the last while have all been about sexism. Um, I'm, I'm not there. Yeah. I'm, I'm pointing out that, that there may be a financial incentive to make some pictures like an ongoing financial incentive because the people will see The help is huge, as you say. Uh, the figures, it's like. We don't think we see it over in Ireland. These were huge films in the States. I, mean, I, 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 I think that might be um, an ethnicity issue as well. I mean, the yeah. same thing I'm happened with Black Panther. Oh, yeah. Hidden yeah. yeah. Figures made a fortune here. It made an absolute fortune here. So did the help. They, were, they both did really well in, our, in yeah. Irish markets. So I think there was, because there, there used to be that belief that, you could, that African-American cinema wouldn't play here. Um, but no, they, they've they've definitely bucked the trend. I would say, as as did Black Panther, uh, and it's, yeah. it continues to do so. It's it's still around in cinemas, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah well, as, I mean, as, as the previous discussions, one of the pre- previous discussions made clear, you know, diversity goes beyond gender, mm-hmm. uh, and there's really interesting stuff happening around around race in particular coming out of American cinema. And uh, I think the, the the point was made earlier, and it certainly struck me um, very strongly that when we looked at that, I think a census breakdown. Uh, earlier on, of kind of ethnic um, ethnic variations in Ireland, how those how those voices and those stories are really still not there. There's a really interesting thing going mm. on at the moment with um, kind of Irish R and B and hip hop coming out of you know um, young uh, black Irish kids and young white working class kids, but where mu- because music the filters are much shorter in music, yeah. particularly these days, you know, um, and I wonder. 
you know, how long we'll have to wait to see those kind of experiences come to an Irish TV screen or an Irish film screen, because we certainly haven't seen them yet. Leave it there. You're the boss, actually. Well, well, we're just about right. We're bang on time. I like to do these things on time. I'll thank the panel. That was fantastic. Thank you very much for that. I look forward to all kinds of interesting stuff happening over the next one. Thanks very much.